you wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then, oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red and in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. Uh, today, we are we have a very special uh, podcast for you guys. Today is episode 100. Um, we are talking about the Steven Spielberg classic, a game changer in film. Um, a piece of cinema that will stand the test of time. We are talking about Jaws. Might have heard uh, of it. <laughs> yeah, you might have heard of it. It's a little movie called Jaws. Um, and uh, of course, as always, my co-host John and Curtis. Hello. Are joining me today uh, to talk about this uh, piece of s- cinematic Excellent. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, yeah, but before we get into that, uh, we're going to talk about um, some current uh, current news. What's going on in um, you know the life the life of uh, cinema and, and and TV and everything else. So yeah, uh, we've, John, we've been away for a few weeks too. So I guess there's yeah, a lot we of have been away. news. Uh, you got some stuff lined up there, eh, John? Uh, yeah, I, I wrote down, uh, well, a lot of new releases. Obviously, it's been, I think, what, two weeks since we've all chatted last time. So um, a lot of stuff's come out. Uh, a movie that everyone was bristling for with anticipation and bated breath, Blue Beetle, is in theaters. Uh, notably, I don't really know much about this movie. I know it's part of the whole DC Comics superhero universe. Uh, but what I do find kind of fascinating about this movie is that this was the first IMAX movie post uh, Oppenheimer. So as a result, a lot of Oppenheimer screens got pushed uh, to make way for this movie uh, to a lot of controversy. So um, I, I think one of the things that's really interesting about the Oppenheimer release is like it's really clued in people to the scheduling of IMAX movies, because a lot of these IMAX movies don't really get huge runs. They get bumped for stuff like this. So um, that's sort of the only piece of news of how I've heard about this movie. It's just people coming up, being incredulous about this movie being <laughs> at the IMAX now in place of a place of Oppenheimer. Um, but I don't know, maybe it's good. It seems pretty dopey. Um, another movie that came out uh, recently, uh, Strays, the kind of a throwback movie almost. It's like uh, produced by like Blord Miller has like Will Ferrell in it. It feels like a movie from like 2007 in now. It's about a bunch of dogs um, that talk and swear think of like a kind of like a Will Ferrell like... McKay <laughs> yeah it's like almost like a homeward bound meets like a McKay Ferrell movie or something that's what it kind of looks like um I don't really know actually I, I know absolutely nothing about this movie the trailer came out a few months back and it was pretty funny and uh I'll probably watch it probably on Netflix or something I don't think I'm gonna go to the theaters for it but um seems kind of fun um but again it, it does remind me a lot of like kind of movies so when it came out like 15 years ago um so it has a little bit of a throwback appeal um, another movie that's just recently come out that um, has been getting a lot more kind of critical attention is the new Emma Siegelman, uh, C- sorry, Emma Seligman movie, um, Bottoms, uh, which just uh, which just released, I think, like two weeks ago. Um, really fun, too. It's got like a really great cast, uh, kind of the current it girl, Rachel Sennett, uh, 
uh, and and a pretty big swath of characters, uh, notably Marshawn Lynch. I'm a big football guy. Marshawn Lynch apparently has a kind of a fun role in it. I think as a teacher, and I've heard he's really good in it too. So, um, just came out. Um, from what I understand about the movie, it's it's sort of like a kind of like teen sex parody. A little bit of like you know nerds versus jocks, but a little bit kind of like skewered. And I've heard it's also like kind of at times a little bit like surreal, almost like a wet hot American summer vibes. So I'm I'm excited to check this one out. I didn't check out Shiva Baby. I know I think Curtis, you you watched that one. Oh, Shiva um, Baby is really good. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm 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 sure it's it's also just as great. And I know uh, Emma uh, Seligman's been getting like a lot of like kind of critical attention. It's, it's Rachel um, Sinod in this one too. She was really good in Shiva. Yeah, that's, that's I, I what I said. I don't yeah, think I don't, think, she, I don't think she's Jewish actually. So, but she was really no. Good. She's I mean, Italian. She's just Italian. So, <laughs> she's you know, Italian. Pretty similar. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that one's coming and that one I, I that one I actually might roll out check out the theater we'll see um, again another one that like um, I, I kind of want to watch Shiva Baby first because like I just never got around to watching that and uh, um, both both are getting pretty it's really good buzz. but it's like I yeah. felt like high anxiety the whole time I watched it yeah. but it was like really funny actually <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd like it too uh, Quinn yeah <laughs> another one uh, that's coming out the last one I have on my list uh, a movie that no one asked for but yet um <laughs> It's it's here. It's a uh, Gran Turismo um, directed by Neil Blomkamp. You know, I feel like that while... might be all right, though. I feel like it, like it, it looks kind of I mean, the cast is actually quite like it caught me off guard. I don't remember what I was seeing in theater, but um, oh, it was uh, Oppenheimer and yeah. the uh, the trailer came up and I'm like, I was actually kind of surprised at the uh, at the cast. And then to find out that it was actually a true story, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> Wait, is it actually a true story? I know I've heard that come up, but it's apparently it's like hundred percent legit. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know based on an IP. It's the new PlayStation productions. They've done like a lot of. Um, I think the last movie they did was Uncharted, and now they've been involved in like Last of Us, and and I think all the and I guess Twisted Metal as well too. So they're they're going through all their IPs and they're releasing a whole bunch of movies and shows. This being one of them. Uh, but I'm really fascinated by the fact that Neil Blomkamp's coming back to direct someone who I feel like has been talked about as like a, a, a an up and comer for like 15 years. And like, he's coming, he's going to direct the next alien movie. And that's been talked about for years and years. And, uh, you know, you look at his filmography and I, I saw district nine, in the theater. And I remember thinking it was just excellent movie. And um, a lot of his stuff that came following that hasn't really hit as well. It's been, you know, much less, much less critically received. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I mean, I hope it's a good movie, but um I just find it interesting. It feels like there was a time where like everyone was obsessed with this guy and wanted him to like make the next good movie. And then it just there sort of never came. And now he's rolled out with this like <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. And there was also a really weird interview uh, that I was reading um, on Twitter um, where someone had kind of asked him about his like movies, his filmography. And he, he got like oddly like, like they weren't trying to be mean to him or they weren't trying to like, you know, call him out. But like, I guess he took it the wrong way. He just kind of got like passive aggressive with him in the interview. It was really weird. Um, and this is, this is someone who's come out in the past and said, like, he doesn't take his movie reaction to his movies that seriously. He's got a pretty good sense of humor about it, but he seemed to get really oddly in, you know, in a fit about it. So Ooh. it was very strange. <laughs> um, one other shout out I want to mention too, and I think this isn't on, actually released yet, but it was on the film circuit and it got really good reviews and it's coming to Netflix. I think next month, is uh, Wes Anderson actually did a second film this year, which is based on a Roald Dahl uh, short story. It's called The Wonderful World of Henry Sugar. And I heard it's actually really good. And it's only 40 oh. minutes long, so, too. So, I mean, that's a second film this year after yeah, cool. uh, 
I, I forget the name of this other film, but Asteroid but looks, City. That was it. Yeah, yeah, but it, it looks really good. So I might, I might watch both. Maybe like a double bill. <laughs> so. That'd be cool. Yeah, it's a yeah. And actually, in terms of the world of film, I, I didn't put in the notes, but uh, TIFF is just starting up. So uh, we'll probably get some more news in the next week or two about uh, some new releases premiering there, um, and also some genre stuff coming to the Midnight Madness uh, lineup. So. Um, that's that's like that's happening as we speak and there's a lot of stuff going on obviously it's the it's the fall so we got like venice film festival stuff like that i did notice as well tony uh, leung just won uh the award uh kind of an honor you know a career honorable award at, at venice uh, to, to a very emotional reaction so that was kind of cool to see uh that fam- that great actor uh get some much deserved love um in terms of other news as well too just to go quick uh the movie prey this one's actually interesting because prey uh which is of course the uh I guess part of the Predator universe. It's a prequel, I guess, sort of. It takes place in the past. Um, it was just announced it's actually coming to 4K and Blu-ray. Um, previously, this film had only been available uh, as a bootleg because uh, it was only on Disney Plus, wasn't anywhere else. Uh, I guess in the US, it's on Hulu. Um, so this is kind of cool. It's been over a year now, and now it's coming out to 4K and Blu-ray. I hope this does establish a trend of these digital films, these like streaming releases, starting to get more and more releases. Uh, on the home market because I think at this point yeah and pack on the extra buying... features too they're really rich they're not like bare bones kind of release yeah and the, it's kind of an interesting thing because I think like uh, if people who follow like the, the 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 home sales market there's less overall sales certainly like you don't have stores flooded with DVDs and it's not like the golden age of that stuff but the market now is pretty much exclusively enthusiasts and people who do want this stuff so while the market while there's much less sales and the market's much smaller. Um, the audience that makes up that market is actually quite into film and and, and wants this content. So it's really cool that um, these releases are coming and and presumably they're they're filled with a lot of you know notes about the production and, and commentaries and stuff like that. So I, I'm glad that it's coming out. I hope more streaming releases that are kind of only sit right now as like bootlegs. You can't like I think of that Hellraiser movie, that new one. You, you can't buy it anywhere i i don't believe it's just like a bootleg <laughs> it disappeared so. off the face of the earth <laughs> yeah otherwise it's like where yeah what is Goodbye. it no one knows so i i, I hope the, these get like proper releases so that, that's cool to see um other stuff that's coming out too um a few months back they announced uh, the uh great jonathan demi film the uh, concert film stop making sense about the uh, talking heads oh yeah uh, that one got a 4k restoration um and there was radio silence for like the last six seven months kind of funny enough just like a month ago people were kind of like oh whatever happened to that movie like there was some speculation that maybe like they just are kind of like put the kibosh on it uh but just just last week they uh announced uh i think at tiff they're going to do a 4k imax screenings which presumably yep. means it's going to be rolling out um in theaters probably in the next month or two and what i'll i was more surprised by is at tiff this week i think this week um the members of the Talking Heads, which includes um, David Byrne, are going to reunite. And if you follow wow. the Talking Heads, if you know anything about so David Byrne, is, but, <laughs> but if you Toronto follow of all places too, right? Yeah, a tip for for stop making sense. But if you follow uh, the Talking Heads, and if you follow, um, you know, David Byrne's career at all, that's like remarkable that they would actually reunite because like they didn't exactly random, have a <laughs> they they didn't exactly have a great split and, and over the years like chris franz and, and like tina and rita weymouth have been like kind of pretty critical about david byrne you know calling him kind of like a bully or or saying even more derogatory things about him and he's really never spoken about it so i don't know if they've reconciled or you know they're just looking at the anniversary like a dollar signs on their eyes i don't know but um yeah apparently they're actually reuniting and like i don't know i would if they for the love of god if they reunited and actually like, did a little tour that would be like amazing 
And I would love to see that, but um, kind of cool. Something that I don't think anyone ever expected that like David Byrne of all people and, and the rest of the band would actually come together. Um, but, you know, time, you know, time heals all wounds to an extent. Um, now we just got to hope that the Gallagher's are going to eventually, uh, you know, reunite, you know, Liam and uh, Noel can put their uh, feuding on Twitter for aside for a, a week or two. That'd be nice. Uh, <laughs> and other stuff, there's been a lot of like trailers, teasers coming out. A lot of cool new films coming along the way. Um, there was some buzz a few weeks back because uh, Bradley Cooper's film Maestro had a trailer that it's going to be coming out, I believe, on Netflix. Um, looks pretty cool. It's like a black and white. I believe it's like um, it's a, a biopic about uh, uh, Leonard Bernstein and and go, gets into his sort of career and his and his music. Um, and what's kind of cool about it, which what was kind of cool about it, is that like um, it's all shot on film. It's all black and white, so it looks really um, visually. It looks quite good. And, you know, Bradley Cooper is someone who's, you know, he comes from the like uh, classic, uh, you know, inside the actor studio circuit. He's someone who is I think people disregard and and don't realize that he's someone actually knows a lot about film history and acting. So um, I'm actually going to be kind of interested to see it because I think he's got the chops to be a good uh, filmmaker. Um, And uh, there was some like kind of uh, some people who are a little bit annoyed because they, they thought you should have like a bigger nose and there's all this stuff, but uh, that's, that's neither here nor nothing. Um, yeah, they're like, always oh, his nose looks anti-Semitic. And I'm just like, well, I don't think that's the, that's what he meant to do. But <laughs> I don't think that's what anyone would take from yeah, first no, glance. Yeah. Maybe that's a sign you're too, you're too online. If o- you, run too many, yeah. you run in too many reactionary spaces. If too that's many what offended people, Quinn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and another film that's coming out uh, that I think uh, we'll, we'll be clued into is the new David Fincher film, The Killer. Um, I'm a little bit uh, sad by it though because it's part of the partially part of the reasons we don't get any of like the new Mind Mindhunter. Although I guess Mindhunter was yeah. canceled, so it's okay. He can make this now. It was Mank that he shouldn't have made. Uh, oh but yeah, the killer looks cool. Uh, Michael Wait, Fassbender. David Fincher made Meg. No, uh, Mind Ma- Mindhunter. Ma- Ma- Mank. Uh, oh, Mank. sorry. Okay. Oh, Mank. Yeah. So I think said I thought you said the Meg. I was. Oh, like, Mank. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah. Because Mank was brilliant. Mank was the brilliant. Meg. David Fincher's the Meg. I want to see that with the, I'm the like, shark. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, okay, Meg. <laughs> Meg directed well, you know, David Fincher would actually if, be good. If they somehow. got What's-His-Face to do the second one, I think they're going to open up to a whole yeah, bunch ben of Wheelie, monsters. Yeah. yeah, Ben Wheelie made the second one. I don't maybe, see why David Fincher can't make maybe the third one. Maybe do the third one, yeah. I know yeah. this is a little off topic, but at the same time, it's not. I would really like to see David Lynch do Meg. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a whole new ball game, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be wild. Yeah, uh, the the killer that looks cool. I don't know if you guys saw the trailer for it. It's it was a short trailer, but um, has the same vibe as a lot of his other um, similar films. I, I think of like Zodiac and Gone Girl. Kind of uh, seems a little bit kind of slow, methodical, tense. So um, it's gonna get a lot of buzz when it comes out this fall. Looking forward to it. And uh, one that was my favorite bit of news of the week. Um, finally, after you know many years, the new Michael Mann film. Ferrari is going to be coming out soon and there was a great trailer for it uh, just a couple of days ago it looks slick it's a little teaser with uh and, and it to me it looks like it, it from what I can tell it's not like the kind of current digital Michael Mann it's it's almost like more hearkening back to the past and stuff like uh, Thief and and a lot of those those great films he did so I, I think based on the subject matter it sounds like right in line with like Michael Mann's style it's like about like men who are obsessed with their work and are very technical and meticulous who uh you know uh, deal with their own kind of issues and it, it seems like totally 
part of this kind of style and it looks great i think it even got like some uh, critical acclaim already from from coming out of venice so um will be really cool to see that when it comes out i mean i'm gonna roll out to the theater for that one um you know he's 80, 80 years old now um all of our masters are getting up there but it was kind of cool to see him you know finally come back and make this because it's been uh, in in development for quite quite some time and uh that about wraps it up i think that i have for news news uh news notes do you guys have anything else you want to maybe mention quickly before we get to uh to joss uh, i don't think so no yeah no i don't think so all right well uh to put it appropriately why don't we dive into joss so i do want to actually just quickly talk a little bit about um sort of the background of this film and and sort of how um, this film sort of came to be because I, I think it's weird, it's weird talking about Jaws. Jaws is up there with just like Star Wars and these films that really made, you know, current Hollywood what it is and sort of uh, in, in a way it really marked a big historical shift because you're coming right out of the new Hollywood era where, um, you know, filmmakers were given tons of power, a little bit over studios at that too. And in this case, um, this was an example of, um, you know, kind of studios getting a little bit of that power back as we saw at the end of the 70s and the 80s, um, for better or for worse. And, you know, Jaws is no exception to this, but um, the history of Jaws, of course, Jaws is based off of a a novel written by uh, Peter Benchley, um, which was um, actually came out at the same time. It was actually a, um, when it was being um, marketed, it was like already drawing a lot of attention. And that's where uh, producers uh, Richard uh, D. Zanuck and David Brown, they acquired the film rights for this right before production. Um, eventually was strongly influenced by a lot of actually real life cases of shark incidences, most notably in 1916 um, off the coast of New Jersey. There had been a kind of, kind of highly uh, publicized series. Yeah, of there, was a, there was a bull shark that went through like a, the creek or something and killed a couple of kids, I think, didn't wasn't it? Yeah, and I didn't catch this on 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 when I was watching rewatching it the, uh, yesterday, but uh, I think it, there's actually a, at one point like a nod or like a reference to it as well too. They talk about you know this is this has happened before. There's been attacks in in New Jersey, so it does kind of come off very 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 stupid, quickly. Stupid ass mayor. <laughs> yeah, and so um so when this this book was not even out yet, and there's already kind of you know the film rights being kind of considered. Um, so of course, who to direct the film, of course, became the question. And, uh, you know, some veteran filmmakers were considered, uh, but eventually found their way to a young Steven Spielberg, only 26 years old, uh, still very early on in his career, had, um, you know, he had just worked for actually these two men on uh, the Sugarland Express. And uh, he also was attracted to the film because he found some similarities with it uh, to his earlier film, uh, Duel. So he kind of saw the kind of horror tension appeal with that. And the uh, the Sugarland Express part is kind of funny. I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch the whole thing, but I was watching the uh, that that documentary about Jaws. You know, the the, sh the shark should work or whatever. And uh, he mentions about um, wanting to include like the members of like the the, the old couple from Sugarland Express. You get the car stolen. He wanted them like in the town, and he also wanted a bunch of other like film references, which I thought was kind of funny. He wanted a scene where, um, of course, the first scene we see with Quint is when he scratches the the board. He's like, I can catch him for three and I'll kill him for 10 or whatever. He goes on and on. But um, apparently in the original script, that wasn't supposed to be the first scene with him. The first scene was supposed to be him at a theater watching Gregory Peck's Moby Dick laughing and laughing <laughs> manically because it looks so hokey and it's so dopey and, and laughing to the point where everyone in the crowd is like, kind of horrified and like leaves mm. the theater and you see just the camera panning away from the theater as you hear his laughter filling his I, th I think it's, it works better with the final cut because i think like i you know it feels like 
too tongue-in-cheek with that i think too it's like nice when they, the moby dick's a little bit more subtle in the text of the film i think well it was kind of funny watching rewatch the documentary post fablemans because i feel like fablemans now everyone's like reevaluating spielberg's career and his influences and it's like oh yeah you can really see all these like other filmic influences that he wanted to like throw into his movies and all these nods to like movies that he loved as a kid and like in this case of Jaws, still very early on in his career, um, had to make a lot of kind of concessions due to the course, the the, the cost and uh, that of this project and how it grew. Um, but of course, Spielberg got attached to direct this film. Um, and for casting, he actually wanted to kind of go for lesser known talent, um, didn't really want to go with like huge big stars. You know, anonymity um, kind of makes the characters and situation feel believable. And actually, What's what's interesting about this film too is where it was shot. It was actually filmed in Martha's Vineyard. Um, many of the extras are are local residents. So, so where you see like a scene where uh, Martin Brody's going to the hardware store and you just see the the parade behind him and people walk around. Most of those people were actual residences. Um, and there's even like some fun editing choices um, where you like you see like a kind of an old seaman pop out with like a pipe and he's holding some groceries and the camera camera kind of lingers on him before like you know, the people come into the scene and there's some really nice moments like that where you really get to see just random sort, you know, random people in this town and everyone, it feels very authentic and lived in. It doesn't feel like just like a set that was set up somewhere um, outside the studio lots. It feels uh, real and it is real. And they actually filmed it, of course, on the ocean, uh, much to, uh, in hindsight, Spielberg's sort of chagrin. I think uh, one of the big regrets he has about this film is the fact that, you know, filming it on the ocean, while it gave it a lot of authenticity, of course, made this a really troubled production um, at the same time. And um, in terms of casting as well, too, uh, Lorraine Gary, who I'll get into a little bit. I, I have some notes on her, but of course, she plays uh, uh, Brody's wife. Um, she uh, is kind of interesting um, because uh, Ellen Brody um, not only appears later in one of the sequels, but um, real life Lorraine Gary was actually the um, wife of Universal President um so uh, that's sort of a little bit of like a nepo casting at that getting her in this movie um and of course mary hamilton as mayor larry vaughn also uh, was casted uh for brody i thought was interesting is they actually offered it to uh robert duval who had actually rejected it and wanted to play quit instead uh they also considered charlton heston but again he was kind of considered too much of a, a star and they ended up going uh with roy schneider which, which i think was a, which was a good call there um, Robert Shaw, of course, plays uh, Quint. He was actually reluctant to take the, the casting, uh, the role, because um, apparently he wasn't like a big fan of the book. Um, but apparently, according to a, a quote from his secretary, and it, it was him and his wife were talking with him, and they said, you know, last time that they were that enthusiastic about a project was from Russia with Love. Um, so he, Robert Shaw said, you know, they were correct on that account. Um, and like Quinn actually based his performance off of some of the local residences, like cast member Craig Kinsbury, who was a local fisherman. He was a local farmer. Um, he was kind of uh, the inspiration uh, behind uh, some of this, some of this. And he actually plays Ben Gardner in the movie. So again, he kind of like studied some of the local residences, the local are the crusty sea captains and actually molded that into uh, his character. Um, and the last of the big three, of course, is uh, Richard Dreyfuss uh, as, uh, as Hooper. And in, in the case of, of Matt Hooper, um, Richard Dreyfuss, of course, very young in this film. I mean, he's called the kid in this movie. Um, he had just come off, um, I think, the apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, uh, which uh, hadn't been like a huge, massive kind of critical hit. It had been kind of a little bit mixed. And he, he kind of felt like it, in the context of his career that things weren't going so well. So he kind of jumped to take this role. He wasn't really, really that into it, but thought that it might be you know some good for him. 
and you know couldn't have been more right. Um, so of course they filmed this in Martha's Vineyard in '74, um, and of course, probably I think the thing the thing about this movie about the production of this movie that everyone knows the most is Bruce. Bruce is really the star uh, of this movie, and if you everyone don't know who that is, except, except for Stephen, <laughs> yeah, if you don't know who Bruce is, Bruce is the the name given uh, to the mechanical sharks. Uh, there was more than one that were used on this film. Um, so this was actually one of the first films to be almost entirely shot on the ocean. And again, as you'd expect, shooting on the ocean is incredibly troublesome. Uh, the conditions for filming, it was in the summer. Again, this takes place over the just over the 4th of July weekend. Um, very hot, very humid. The sharks, again, had a lot of technical trouble, a lot of issues. And... Um, he, uh, Spielberg actually said uh, um, in terms of the the schedule, the work schedule, uh, roughly the 12 hour daily work schedule, he said on average, maybe only four hours were spent shooting. So there was a lot of time spent on the crew getting the conditions ready and then setting everything's up, uh, everything up. Um, the actors themselves, especially on the boat scenes, those were trouble scenes. Um, the actors frequently got seasick. Uh, notably, there had been some uh, a bit of grudge against some of the the actors, Robert Shaw and uh, Richard Dreyfus didn't get along very well. Um, you know, Dreyfus was kind of coming up some pretty rave reviews off, off of Duddy Kravitz and recent release. And, and Robert Shaw was just kind of in the downswing of his career and was, would frequently abandon the film set to go to Canada to avoid taxes. So I thought that was kind of a, kind of odd. Um, but although while the delays are well known and, and, and uh, documented um, as being troublesome, the delays in some instances actually really helped the film. Um, they actually spent time because when the film started production, I, I was watching the documentary with, with Spielberg. He'd said, you know, two months into what they're about to start shooting. He's like, I don't even have really a script done or finished. Uh, but because the production was so troubled and delayed, it gave him a lot of time to actually refine the script. And um, because the sharks were so troublesome, you know, these mechanical sharks, um, because they're so troublesome, they made the decision to not really show the sharks that often. There was, there was supposed to be more scenes in the film um, in the original Spielberg iteration of the script where the sharks were supposed to appear. Um, there was supposed to be a scene where a shark like in the background, like grabs a bow and grabs someone. It was meant to be a little bit more, a little bit more gory, but they couldn't really do that stuff. So as a result, they actually shot a lot of the scenes, uh, you know, obfuscating the sharks. Um, you know, you like for most of the shark head parts of the film, when, you know, which when you get that kind of goofy, like John Williams, like doo -doo 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 -doo, happy score kick in. Uh, you only see the barrels going around. They, they couldn't show the shark. They had to just kind of rely on that instead. And there's a really cool bit at the end, too, which I found was reading about, too, when the, they blow up the shark at the end. Spoiler alert. But I think we all know what happens. But uh, apparently they yep. used E.T. dolls to like have that affect the shark kind of like, you know, blowing up and going underwater. They just oh, like, like all the foam and stuff. Yeah, like, which I thought was kind up. of a cool effect. Yeah. I actually find that scene kind of sad. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, like this isn't a monster. This is a living like creature. And well, I think with like climate change falling. and like, you know, mass extinction too, a lot of these creature features can be pr quite problematic too, because a lot of these species, you know, they need to be kind of revised rather than kind of maligned, you know? Yeah. So. And that was sort of a bit of a consequence of Jaws too, was the fact that, you know, it, it, it attracted a lot of people to sort of this world of, of the sea, but to the same way, for, for it couldn't have been worse fucking PR for sharks because like uh, as a consequence of this movie a lot of people you know kind of gained sort of some misconceptions about sharks and the author himself has since actually really distanced himself from the book and he's yeah, now kind of involved in like, yeah yeah he's now involved in like marine activism because he's he kind of feels like his book has kind of been um a curse and while I don't think the book has actually been credited with the death of sharks but 
Um, it certainly hasn't let, let an impact. If you see any kind of shark media from now till present day, it's going to have some kind of reference to Jaws. If there's a shark in a cartoon, they're going to do a da 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 scene. It always <laughs> happens. So well, you cannot. Sharks are so intrinsically linked to this movie now. It's 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 inseparable. There's a there's kind of well, you know the the sequels I think are pretty hokey. They kind of get progressively worse. And I mean, you get that cardboard shark in in Jaws three too, and it kind of loses all you know. The, the flavor of the first film and you get to jaws the revenge which is even worse and i well sleeping psychic shark yeah the shark roars in jaws the shark the roars. and well, has a psychic link to alan brody i will say like i'm i don't mind the, the jaws sequels <laughs> and i have a i have a love for jaws the revenge because i remember i have a memory of, of shopping with my mom and you know we i used to love going to the bargain dvd bins that are starting to slowly disappear but i remember looking through the bargain dvds and being like mom can we get this and it was jaws the revenge and she was like, yeah, sure. And I remember watching as a kid and I thought, even as a kid, I was like, this movie sucks. But um, I always loved that kind of angle of Ellen Brody being like, I don't know, psychic connect. The, sh- the, j- the shark wants revenge, hence the name, and wants to go after her and her family. Um, it's quite something. Um, and uh, get, getting into it again some more, um, for the shark itself too, what I, what I think really helps the film is while they do use a mechanical shark, there are some scenes with actual real shark footage and they kind of really do a great job at really depicting what a shark uh, could be like. They actually hired um, two, um, I believe, um, uh, filmmakers and biologists, uh, Ron and Valerie Taylor, or, or rather they might be photographers. They were they were um, had worked with another filmmaker who did a documentary on sharks. They tried to get him involved in the project. And he, he said he'll only be involved if he can direct. And they're like, well, we can't you can't do that. And he's like, okay, well, I don't want to be involved. However, there's these, this couple I know, they know a lot. They can really help you. So they got involved and um, they actually had shot some footage with a, a little person, a short actor in a miniature shark tank to create the illusions of large sharks. And um, during that shoot, a great white actually attacked the boat and cage. Wow. And uh, because it was so stunning, the footage, they actually decided to keep that in the film. You know, no one actually been in the cage Um uh, but they used that footage in the film, which is cool. And there's also some changes from the text. I don't, I'm not, I've never read the novel, so I'm not totally familiar with it, but um, it's okay. In, there is some the change. No- yeah. I think they eat uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character. He gets killed at the end uh, by the, the shark. Yeah. That's what exactly what I was saying. So um, Richard uh, Dreyfuss says Hooper, Hooper gets killed by the shark. Um, the storyline was altered so that Hooper again, escapes the cage. Um, and actually, I think that's sort of one of the reasons why they did that was because of the fact that the cage was empty and the shark was attacking it. They really wanted to use that footage. And so that kind of slid in as a plot point because of it. Um, the executive production executive, Bill Gilmore, said uh, the shark down in Australia rewrote the script and saved Dreyfus's character. So kind of funny. Um, can also talk about this movie. You have to talk about this movie because of the John Williams score. This is the first oh, of, classic, a, yeah. <laughs> of a beautiful relationship between Williams and Spielberg, um, the god of film scores, Williams, who's now, I believe, pushing like 91, 92. Still um, making music too, isn't he? He's the new still Indiana making Jones. scores, yeah. <laughs> I think he did, he, did he do the score for the Fablemans or was he involved in that? I, I, think, I know he I think just so. did. I think he did new Indiana think, Jones too. You're right. Yeah. I think he did, yes. And of course, did the Star Wars films recently too, um, and I like a lot of the theme, the themes in the in the in the new the new series, like race theme. I think they're they're quite good. Um, you know, Williams, of course, um, you know, was well known, but wasn't like who he is now. This film and a bunch of the other films that he would do with Lucas and Spielberg really cemented him as as the elite in in Hollywood uh, for for making film scores, of course. Um, so Williams had, had worked on this project. Um, the main shark theme is actually a pattern of two notes. It's F and F sharp. Um, notably, it's played on a tuba instead of a French horn. And Williams said he wanted to invoke 
um, kind of a more threatening tone and also a little bit of like pirate seafaring music. I, I think of the sweeping score when they're out in water chasing the shark and you get that kind of riveting kind of upbeat uh, song that kicks in. Well, you um, think very adventurous. It, it's and, so interesting too because you think, you know, like I, the problem I had with Moby Dick as a book is I thought it was kind of boring. But like when they're at sea, like, I never got bored the whole time. It was just so, so entertaining. Um, yeah, it's really enthralling. And I think it, it, it's a credit to the pacing of the movie too. It's a really and well just how into movie. character, you know, I read uh, actually the book on the USS Indianapolis after that, too. And it's pretty graphic, too. You know, like the people who didn't get torched or drowned, you know, they were sitting pickled basically in the South Pacific and waiting for the sharks to come, too. And it's kind of horrific. And then, you know, just the acting itself creates this very infamous horror scene. I just I love that, too. And one thing I think with uh, I, I watching the film again, so my friend. I have a friend who looks like Richard Dreyfus in Jaws, so we we watched it together. It was his first time watching it, and we actually like I really felt a lot more for Quint like when I watched it again recently. And uh, uh, I I think there's it's really interesting too because he has this kind of trauma. He has basically PTSD, and I kept thinking about that. And I was thinking about I don't know last night when I was thinking about the movie, I thought about that and Christopher Walken's character in The Deer Hunter, and they keep going back to that. Uh, traumatic event and trying to reenact it basically too which yeah. is really weird too and I mean they both have it both fatal for both of them too uh, but I thought that's kind of interesting too they don't really it's kind of latent in the film but you kind of pick up on it after multiple viewings I don't know what you guys thought of Quint or uh, with that as well <laughs> yeah no uh, yeah. Um, oh sorry go ahead John no no go, go ahead Quint. Um, yeah no like uh I thought uh, I thought Quint was like a pretty, you know, like uh, a character that you could identify with at least, like, mm. <laughs> like especially being on the boat like that. Um, but uh, I think overall, like uh, Spielberg, Spielberg uh, captured, you know, ca- captures his uh, his character so well. I think, and, yeah. Well, it's it interesting is... how they have it on the, the boat, too, because you have like the scientist guy and he's like really knowledgeable right. about the, the academic stuff. But when it comes to practical stuff, he's a bit, you know, not as well equipped and they always like tease each other. And it's all those kind of stereotypes about the academic and stereotypes about the, the fishermen, too. And then you have kind of uh, Roy Scheider's character to kind of mediate it, too. And I love that. Uh, That's right. Dynamic. And I'm pretty sure if you look up like greatest characters ever in film history, I'm pretty sure Quint comes up like I, like I'm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's like he's quite high on the, <clears throat> excuse me, like the all-time list. I'm pretty. I think sure. he was British too. So I mean, that just says you can't even hear the British accent. You know, he just he just dives right into that main kind of fisherman, raw fisherman. You know, yep, that's uh, right. <laughs> World War II veteran uh, vibes. You know, that's right. Yeah. Um, I also want to quickly note as well too, just uh, it for for those of for those who are again maybe listening to this who haven't fully watched jaws well you should like what the hell are you doing this is our 100th episode you're not, <laughs> go, you're not fully participating so what is jaws so again um the story takes place on amity island and i love that big billboard of amity island that gets like defaced later in the movie i always forget about that scene with like the uh the shark fin and then you know like i i love hooper's reaction to the mayor when he walks away and he's just like just start he just laughs like he can't even believe it and he's just so he's laughing so much at the poster too um uh, but on this island, late at night, young woman uh, goes missing at this beach party. And um, for myself, I just I rewatched this movie twice in the last year. I, I saw it. Uh, they just had a real 3D release earlier in the year. It was re-released in IMAX. Ooh. And I saw it in 3D. And I actually will say I thought watching it in 3D was really good. I thought the conversion was great. Um, it was really cool. And this is a really well, just I, I think. 
I think um, you know Jaws is really such a really great film. The way the shot, the 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 way the the way the the pictures are composed in this film, there's so much depth to feel in this movie. And so watching it in 3D actually was really interesting because you really see some of those effects. There's so much foreground, background scenes. I think of just the famous scene where Roy Scheider is throwing the the bait in the water and you get the shark coming up. It's not even in focus and it just gets your attention. There's so many moments like that. Um, makes it jump. It's, really it's the original OG jump scare. You know? <laughs> yeah. And this first scene is beautiful because it's shot late at dusk with real lighting. It looks so, um, and I was just watching it. I have the 4k copy right here. Well, it's, it looks it's great. Like immaculate you get, watching it. You get that cozy kind of drunken campsite and then it leads you out into, you know, just black water and that woman swimming by herself. And you like you, <laughs> You're like, what are you doing, Christy? Come back. You know? And it's very realistic. Like, it feels very natural. Like, even, like, the, the boy she's with, like, he's drunk. He's pissed drunk. He Pass kind of passes out. <laughs> and you see him the next day. He's like, he clearly knows, like, something's gone wrong. And he, he doesn't even, he doesn't not, like, overrod, but it, he feels like he's, he's kind of just, like, in his mind. And it, it felt very natural. But, of well, course, I, she, I, I, I watched a lot of horror. I watched a lot of horror movies and I have to say like this is actually one scene that I have a hard time watching like I don't know why but where she gets attacked by the shark I, I find it very very hard to watch and as a little kid my mom used to make me muted every time I watched it too so like yeah I mean I I think it's really well done she's a, she's a great swimmer and I don't know like it almost feels like a it's, it's very voyeuristic. Shark, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah like re-watching in 4k like I watched this like on like a shoddy tape when I was a kid and I didn't think anything but like watching it in 4k like she's like fully nude and you see like right underneath her it is yeah. very voyeuristic and very exposed and like there is something to that I mean it's the fucking movie poster is is her in the water so that's yeah, a big like, part it's of like its a, appeal it's like a giallo like this, kind of film you know <laughs> yeah it's it's like getting that appeal from like as you said a giallo like a 70s horror influence you really see that kind of tension from like that kind of horror to then it doesn't really come up as much later in the film. It's like almost like a little short movie at the start of the film. Um, but it kicks things off, of course. Uh, the Sheriff Brody uh, gets involved uh, to go find this girl. And they actually determine at the beginning, of course, that it is a shark attack. Uh, they write that in the official documents. Um, but once the mayor finds out, Mayor Larry Vaughn finds out. I'm fucking loser, this is mayor, the big, man. <laughs> this is the big tension of the film. I hate that, Mayor. Larry, <laughs> mayor Larry Vaughn. Well, I will say it's interesting because I actually wrote in my little personal notes here that I said, like, I like the fact that there's like, the, the, there's no real like villains and i think larry vaughn mm -hmm. while he is a villain in, in this film obviously um i was really i really keyed into the scene at the, near the end where um he's at the hospital and you know brody of course his son uh has just been in an incident and he's in shock and brody sees the mayor and the mayor can barely kind of focus he's just kind of stammering around saying you know, like oh I was it was for the good of the city, you know. It was the and he's like, "Come on, you got to sign this form so that we can get permission to go out in the water." And you know, and Larry Vaughn looks at them and he's like, "My son was at the beach too," and he's quite emotional. And um, I thought that was such a great moment because I think it would be very easy to make this guy just a totally unlikable, awful human being. And while you mm -hmm. can see that he's someone who cares about the the town and wants to keep this industry running. Um, you could see that there's a human element there, and I really appreciated that. I, I really think even it. you know he does love the town. I will say too, but you know he he loves the so the town so much that it's almost this blind devotion to the town that he doesn't really want. He doesn't want to escape that you know kind of utopia of, of the town to that there's actually a dark side on the there's a darkness on the edge of town, and he doesn't want to accept that you know too. So there's this yeah. kind of inability to kind of <laughs> you know identify reality. <laughs> Well, there's a big theme here about like just like kind of I would say like justice and doing the right thing, and also yeah. a little bit of which would become very common Spielberg's works works around um kind of like masculinity and fatherhood like yeah about especially being like a, especially the second half of the film it's very much an exploration of masculinity in its different forms yeah 
And I think, you know, the mayor saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. I just sent a kid there too. Like we never really see his, his kid doesn't matter in the film. We don't see it. We we now know he's a father, but we see like a, a different version of kind of fatherhood in, in Brody, someone who does actually deeply care about what's going on. Well, and it's of course that critical scene where, um, where, where um, the, the mother comes back, uh, Alex Kittner's mom, uh, Mrs. Kittner comes back and slaps them. She realizes like, you know, it points out the hypocrisy, the fact that, you know, he actually was involved in this and he knew, and he, even though he might, he would be on the records that was changed and they can claim otherwise, he did know deep down that the, the waters weren't safe. And it's such a great scene too, where he's at the beach and he's staring at everyone. And it's like, you can cut the tension with a knife. It's so tense. And even when I rewatch this film, um, especially after, when it's been many years, I still get really shocked when I see that first scene where Alex Kittner gets attacked by the shark. You don't expect as an audience member that a child is going to get to be the first one murdered here on this beach. Um, and I, it's really shocking seeing the blood gushing up out yeah, of the ocean. Yeah, it's pretty graphic too. for the 70s. And I, I, I always think of that meme, too. It's a little bit harsh where it's like your parents, <laughs> you know, you will never be as old as these parents. <laughs> the parents look like they're 60 with that. Like, it's a bit harsh, but it's kind of funny meme. I looked it up. Time. Apparently, she was like forty-five. So really? I, don't know. I think she. I think she looks it. She just looks like she looks like mid forties. I don't know. But yeah, a little I... bit of fun trivia with uh, Lee uh, Fiero, who I believe passed away. Uh, she caught COVID early on, and, and when the pandemic started, and she passed away sadly. But um, uh, this is a quote. This is just. I'm doing rigorous research here. This is literally the front page of IMDb's trivia. Uh, they say several decades after the film's release, Lee Fiero, who played Mrs. Kittner, uh, walked into a seafood restaurant and noticed the menu had an alex kittner sandwich she commented that she had played his mother many years ago the owner of the restaurant ran out to meet her and he was none other than jeffrey Voorhees, who plays alex kittner they had never seen each other since the original movie shoot little uh you know small world incident there um huh. and pretty funny but i love that like there's it, the characters in this movie feel so uh, fully fleshed and even someone like mrs kittner who gets that one little scene at the end we see her early on on the beach with everyone else you know she's with her son interacting with him we see the terror in her eyes as she starts to realize once everyone's coming off the water that her son's you know dead um there's uh, so, so many great moments you're there. waiting for all the kids to come back and then you know there's just no kid and then i just wanted to give a shout out to that the dog too the dog that implicitly gets eaten too and the guy's waiting that for too. his dog that's quite I always shocking. forget about that. Yeah, yeah like I, I miss that every time. And then I see him calling out. And you just see the stick in the water. Yeah. It's also a great bit of of um, horror to not actually show the dog get ripped apart. You know, a movie today would show the dog, you know, get ripped or eaten. And it would be so excessive and over the top. But again, it kind of it, it shows doesn't tell. It really kind of keeps its cards close to its chest. They really they don't show the shark all it's, often. They don't not, even show that many instances. It's, it's not a very high body count either. There's like five people I think get eaten and that's actually pretty good, you know, considering it's yeah. kind of like Nightmare Before Elm Street kind of approach. You know, it's more built on the tension and the atmosphere, right? Yeah, I always forget how small the cast is. Like I, the credits of the movie, like it goes by so quick. So we got, of course, like I already mentioned like Roy Scheider, Rob, uh, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Lorraine Gary, Marie Hamilton is the mayor. We have uh, some few other folks like that did that get credited but otherwise it's like a pretty it's a pretty like light cast a lot of it's just extras and background folk it's not really like we don't get a lot of like the the sequels to jaws have like a little bit more going on Mm. with the cast and 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 characters and it kind of gets a little bit muddled to a degree like the fact that it's a smaller cast means you really spend time with these people and um, a character that i always like i'm drawn to when i rewatch is lorraine gary who plays um alan brody she's so good in this and i love this scene it's my favorite scene where uh you know, Brody comes back and he's been reading about sharks and he's like studying them. He's obsessed. 
He's like, did you know sharks can live 2,000 to 3,000 years? And she like <laughs> gives him a, like a, a glass of like whiskey or brandy and like sits down between his legs. She's like, want to get drunk and, and fool around? And he's just like, yes, I do. <laughs> like, it's so good. <laughs> it feels so real. I, I, I never really cared about that scene when I was a kid. But now that I'm like the same age as them, married, I'm yeah. like, it feels so like natural. Like they feel like such an obviously like healthy like married couple well i think you know um, like i I make fun of charles revenge a lot but i thought she was actually quite a strong character in that film too and it's nice to have like a female lead character with that kind of presence she's not being sexualized well yeah and she's a mom too and and she's not just treated as like a mother first and foremost like she's treated as like as a normal yeah yeah yeah, exactly she she is a housewife and she is a mother but she's she's treated as like an actual like human being like an actual (laughs) character and then i love the scene my my other favorite scene is when when hooper shows up with the bottles of wine and uh she's like so you're into sharks and it's got to be an ad lib because you see them kind (laughs) of crack and laugh and he's like no one's ever like talked to me like that before and it's such a great moment like where she's actually included into this world and conversation and you know it'd be so easy to have her just play the the shrewd mother who is terrified the whole movie but you know she's someone who actually has gravitas and, and something going on in her life and, I, and it makes her feel a lot more realistic a strong too. main woman <laughs> and, it, and it makes the scenes between her and, and brody even more emotional too because you know she she's a little bit you know she knows that her her husband um is dealing with this really strongly she knows that he's got his own trauma which i, I you know on rewatch i actually don't does that even get really come up the fact that he says that he has an offhand line where he's like oh drowning we we, we know that he went through some kind of drowning some kind of traumatic mm-hmm. event yeah in it doesn't water. really come back to that it doesn't come back to it and, and i think course, it does in the, great... in the book it does but i think oh, okay I that would make sense but there's that great scene of course another i mean i'm like fucking this is my favorite scene this is my favorite every, scene. every single Dude, scene is your favorite this is a top 20 movie <laughs> for me I, I i did on a letterbox uh, if you guys follow me there uh, there was a little twitter thing where everyone was putting up their top 30 movies and you know if you know me i hate making top lists i it's really <laughs> i struggle with it i agonize over it but i did it and in my top eight my two top rows i had jaws in there jaws is a movie you asked me to make my all-time favorites jaws is gonna get named obviously um so every scene to be is great but the scene where they're comparing scars you see brody go to lift his shirt up has a scar does it and puts it down doesn't say anything um and i thought that was kind of interesting it doesn't, really come up much. <laughs> it doesn't come up much but brody has yeah. this like sort of trauma going on himself too about and even and even hooper too because hooper talks about you know what attracted the sharks was you know going on the water as a kid and this tiger shark the way he describes it it's like the shark literally was like ripping his boat apart and him almost <laughs> and that's, him a apart. Big, that's a big shark that's a scary shark man <laughs> yeah and he's fascinated by sharks but like we don't see that 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 fear until he's in the water and i you know mm. we, you were talking interesting Chris, talking about like kind of uh, with quentin and his sort of pyrrhic you know moby dick mission to like go to the water Captain and it's like reenacting <laughs> his own his own almost near death and i wonder a little bit with hooper if there's a little bit of that too like going in the water in the in the cage like he's got to like face his fear and face the danger that he experienced as a kid um there's a lot I of that, that going on that, that's kind of nice in a way too that he survives the trauma too you know because that cute scene where he pokes his head up but then I'm like oh hooper made it you know and <laughs> he didn't get killed <laughs> in the depths what did you have a favorite scene quinn or a favorite scene because i know this is one of your favorites too i think yeah i mean like I know it's kind of cliche, but the uh, get out of the water scene. Oh is yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> like it's like I I know it's like classic. It's like it's the go to, I suppose. But um, yeah, I saw this movie when I was pretty young, and I didn't quite get it. And actually, a uh, little side trivia: my dad has never seen this movie, and uh, what? Yeah, he's oh never. God. How is that possible? Billy, we gotta watch like, it. Oh, 
Dude, that would have been like a teenager in this movie. Came out. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been like what, probably seventeen, I guess. Guys, better watch it together shit, this though. weekend, man. <laughs> yeah, no, this really, is this like... one's for you. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I have to, I, I have to tag him in this episode. But um, yeah, this is one <laughs> film he's never seen for whatever reason. But um, I saw Jaws quite young. And I saw it on the John. You'll remember this, Curtis, too. The space station. Channel. Oh, yeah, I, love, <laughs> I love the space yeah. station. Yeah. Oh man. I, I, I saw this on the space station, and uh I that's where I also saw um Eraserhead and like a few other movies that mean a lot to me. But uh yeah, Jaws fucking awesome. Like I've always been a fan of sharks, like just generally speaking um but uh and i think they have a new shark there's a yeah. new shark film document that just came out too isn't there it's called like uh i forget what it's called it's like all about sharks or something but it was in t- just in time for shark week so we're just kind of touching near shark week too which is kind of cool <laughs> a notable fan of shark week is our former president donald trump who <laughs> to be obsessed with sharks oh god um, <laughs> i would watch shark week endlessly from his hotel um i I, I love that you brought up space. I would love to have an episode talking about like Canadian like television that we watch because oh, like be fun. Space Are you Station, the dark? Yeah. <laughs> I think of like Space Station, like action, <laughs> driving classics. I watched so okay. many great movies through those like dopey, like satellite cable channels, um, especially some like driving classics. I watched so many fucking silent shit on there. TV, that was TVF just... Superstation. I mean, I know yeah. that's a lot, but still. I probably watched like Austin Powers like 50 times just through TBS because it was Ru- always on Rush TBS. Hour. Rush Hour, like yeah. Rush it was Hour like... on loop. <laughs> yeah, I know. The Space Station. That's where so I good. saw that's where oh, I saw man. Alien for the first time. Uh a Razorhead, Jaws, um uh Face Off. Like some some of the biggest movies in history. That's where I saw it. Wow. Like this dude the space station was sick and like and that was, yeah i could sit there at like one in the morning can't sleep and my parents pull out pull out bed in the couch in the basement and like <laughs> it would be like right, one o'clock in the morning we're gonna show you uh close encounters of the third kind and i'm like fucking let's go <laughs> i can't sleep anyway Oh, yeah, it'd be like 90s sci-fi Canadian television, like Lex or whatever, Babylon yeah, 5. Yeah, Lex. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> I, had, I had a very Canadian experience with uh, Jaws recently. Well, a couple years ago, I watched, uh, it was at the Mayfair Theater, actually. I watched Jaws and Jurassic Park as a Spielberg double bill, and that was so good. And I loved it. And it made me appreciate Jurassic Park even more. So that was really quite a treat. So that was special for me. Yeah. I mean, you could see like the seeds of of jurassic park in this movie too like just the way the slow burn of of the reveal of everything like in jurassic park you see so much of it is you see the the results of everything you see you know outside the opening where it's like shoot ah you see like the results of things <laughs> torn apart and you know the, the goat goes in and comes out with the chains you don't see actually the 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 killing being done um not till later in the film and you know when when things start to go awry and it's not unlike jaws where you know the final act is a spiraling disaster of everything, just you know, falling apart and being destroyed. Um, and I, I do love the scene that, which leads into the USS Indianapolis, where you know they're, mm. they're saying like, "Show me the way to go home." Yeah, just I'm totally change, change of to to change of tone. And they're all pissed <laughs> drunk. And I'm pretty sure in real life they were all drinking, so that it feels very real. They're all just drunk on the boat. Um, notably, actually, I think it was um, um, Robert Shaw's son 
uh, wrote the script uh, for or was involved in the play. Um, uh, the new play that's just coming out, it's now on Broadway about Jaws. I should have oh, known what the name of it was. Uh, I'll just look it up right now. It'll come up. The Shark is Broken. That's the new uh, play. It's sort of about the making of Jaws. And I think it all takes place on the boat that they were filming on with uh, the three leads. And, you know, again, because the shoot was so troubled, they, you know, personally, they had some kind of tension between them. And it, it helps with the film, too, because you see, like, so much of it is like man of science versus man of nature of Quint versus uh, Hooper. Not only that old man, young man, and there's a lot of tension there. You know, I, I every, when I rewatched this time, I was kind of thinking, I wonder how much of this is actually like when, when Hooper's climbing up the, the, uh, the ladder and you see him mouthing off in the window and you see him do his like, gives that and does like, no, does like all those faces. I wonder how much of that was actually like Richard Dreyfus like couldn't fucking stand Robert Shaw and was like, fuck you um i wonder how much that was real uh yeah because i wonder but, like uh, how much they were acting and how much was like <laughs> there's a know. there's a lot of ad-lib yeah, i genuine, think the, yeah. uh, you're gonna need a you're gonna need a bigger boat that was an ad-lib and that scene apparently also got edited because it was supposed to he was supposed to say it almost right away and like the crowd when they tested it, the crowd was like woo cheering and they couldn't they couldn't hear it so they actually pushed it and it's, it's a great moment you know he backs up into the boat realizing the full scale of sort of what's going on and other great quotes i think of you know that's some bad hat harry when he sits down and he leaves all in a huff uh <laughs> that one's great um the ending of course too the smile you son of a bitch and the adr as he shoots the <laughs> shark tank uh it's so good um and i think like uh again like as as the film goes on i think there's kind of like two halves there's like of course the first half with the beach and there's a little bit of like almost like the it's almost like a little bit of political intrigue about, you know, the mayor wanting to like undercut this investigation and keep it open and them kind of pushing back against this behind the scenes. And then the ending, the, the hunt, last, yeah. The last act of it's the hunt. It's very thrilling. Um, it's, it's weird. A great, I, it's a, I don't think you could shoot a film like this nowadays, but it's just like for its time, it's just, everything works so well for the film, you know? Yeah. And um, just to get into sort of when the, the world of the movie when it released. So, of course, this movie, um, Again, because it was releasing coinciding with a very popular paperback novel, it actually got kind of an uncharacteristically large marketing blitz. There had been a huge amount of of television ads for this movie, um, and um, because they had they had tested this movie, got rave reviews and test screenings, um, they decided to, to do a trend which had started to happen with films like Magnum Force, which notably from this time and and in previous generations. Uh, films would would actually release gradually in theaters because again this is this is pre uh dcp this is pre you know like sending out a a thumb drive to to markets or a digital file this was they had to lug fucking 35 millimeter prints and shit they didn't always like have all these prints ready to go so they would release small releases in new york city they would release there they would release in la and and at various markets across america and then they would start to roll it out to other theaters that was the kind of traditional model of film releasing um, in this case, they decided to actually do a much wider release, and they were also inspired by The Godfather, which actually had also done something very similar. Um, so in, in June 20th, Jaws opened in 464 theaters in North America. By August, it had actually expanded to 950. Um, so this was a very uncharacteristically uncharacter wide release. You could have been here in Ottawa, and this movie would have been coming out right away, and or, or maybe, maybe less so Ottawa, but like a smaller Canadian market, it would have been released. And that's something that you would never see. Um, should also note again, I talked about release. Jaws has been re-released in theaters all the time. It's kind of up there. I kind of laugh because Jaws is kind of like The Exorcist. If you, if you never saw it, if you're if you're a local rep cinema, 
played it, you missed it, don't worry. Wait six months, it'll be playing again because it plays all the fucking time. So don't feel so bad if you miss it. And actually, like Jaws has been re-released so many times. It's actually, I think, I believe it's gained like an additional like hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue just from its re-releases. I believe in 2022 uh, when it re-released, uh, or was it this year? I don't know. Time's escaping me. When it re-released recently, it made like it was like top 11 in like box office just from, from fucking Jaws. It's like 50 years old and, you know, comes out. People still want to go see that movie. Um, you know, you play it in any drive-in, it's gonna it's gonna draw a crowd. Um, and it, this movie was a huge, massive box office smash. It made hundred million dollars its first fifty-nine days, um, and it would also become the first film to um, to to earn a hundred million dollars through the rental circuit alone. It was actually the first, I believe, rental one of the first rental movies available. It was released on the earliest tapes. It also got a very early release. It was the first ever laserdisc release. Was Jaws. This was a huge movie that helped push the kind of the home video market um, as well too. Um, and also aired on television as well too. It was a huge release, and and of course to say it was, it kind of started a trend of uh, Jaws later kind of got derided in the eighties because it was seen as like oh it was like the saw of its time. It just got sequel after sequel. Jaws two, Jaws three D in three D, and then later released just as Jaws three, and then Jaws the Revenge, which was, which was horribly panned, um, <laughs> and so. The film, you know, the series has never come back, but for its time, it was a huge sensation. Even Jaws two and Jaws three, well, I, I believe Jaws two to lesser extent made 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 way more money too. I think they were quite certain things were kind of branched off. You know, like Deep Blue Sea has this kind of a cult following, and then The Shallows, I think, was quite good too. But I think you know, the Jaws the franchise never really got the same momentum after you know the first one. Well, I think like, you know, Jaws really, I think it's influence that we talk about it, you know, just not just the template of the kind of film it would do as a horror film, not just as a shark, scary shark film. Um, It really, it's it's influence as, as in is in the Jaws exploitation, you know, it, right, it, right after Jaws, literally, I believe the same year or year after you get Grizzly, you get Orca, Alligator, Day of the Animals, Piranha, and Spielberg has said Piranha is actually his favorite of the Jaws exploitation. Um, and, well, you know, we got a huge wave of these like, monster animal attack yeah, there's one with like the bear the bear too isn't it yeah grizzly and there's grizzly, like yeah. a, there's a and and there was a whole wave of those Orca. in the 70s and 80s <laughs> to this day and and even you know in more recent years shark specific movies which obviously get a lot of their borrow a lot of their their cultural you know inspiration and and you know audience awareness from jaws deep blue sea of course as you mentioned uh the Meg, sharknado kind of a, all these a, movies are around and exist and are and are well received because of, of Jaws, because that's the movie that really put these on the map. And when you're rolling out to see those movies, you, you always have that movie on the back of your head. Um, kind of a little, fun, kind of a little fun fact too with Richard Dreyfus too. So he did a cameo appearance in I think it was Piranha 3D or Piranha 3D yes. Triple D, and he's at the beginning too, and he basically plays the same character, and he gets seen by the Piranhas. So it's kind of a fun homage to the, <laughs> the first movie. And. Uh, Another thing about Jaws too, like it was really well critically received when it came out. Um, there was there was some there, there's been some criticism about it. I, I think one of the criticisms I've seen is that, um, you know, for its time, it it, it kind of fits this trend of like, um, uh, it, it will. There's there's kind of two parts of criticism. One's more business. One's more subject matter. I think subject matter. This is really a film about like white people and it's got, it's got no consideration for anyone else and, and not, not even consideration for women but i do yeah. think that's a little bit purposeful because i, I think a i think lot it's, of the main, it's, about, main, it's main it's main mass- too right so there's not going to be a lot of there's not a lot of you know non-white people there at the time i think too 
Well, I did see a single black person, a kid in the crowd. Oh, you did? Okay. But I will say, um, I think the fact that it's about men is purposeful because a lot of it's about masculinity. And it, with the whole part of the boat is like, it's like reenacting Moby Dick. It's very existential and about like masculinity and facing your fears and, and you know, uh, Quint breaking the radio because he doesn't want people to come help. Like they, they got to be the ones to solve it. You know, um, there's a lot there too that I think works because of that. But um, business wise, I think there's been, there's been some criticism about this movie because I think if, if you're a fan of the new Hollywood era, if you love the era of the 60s and 70s where we got some of the best auteur projects ever in the, in the history of cinema, where studios were acquiescing to the voices, the artistic voices, Jaws really fucking ruined that. Jaws was like a stealth fucking Trojan horse Don't because while it made Steven Spielberg's career and it made him a huge household name, this was a universal joint and it really allowed the studios to kind of get power back in. And from after Jaws, of course, you get Star Wars, a very similar type of film. And throughout the rest of the 80s, we get a lot of big studio fare. And as a result, a lot of the really artistic voices that were coming in in the 60s and 70s had to adapt and enjoy these kind of studio projects or or die. And a lot of the filmmakers that were kind of notable in that movement um, really saw their careers kind of downswing because of it. Um, you know, I love Jaws. It's a great movie. It's a great well-made horror film. And it's a really a great blockbuster film. But I, I do think like I, I watch it and it feels so 80s to me. It feels so like mid 80s spielberg like i see that influence and it you know you you watch like his prior movies like drive your duel rather and you see like a, a you know he, he would never really be the same filmmaker again this would be kind of the film he would the sort of film he would kind of make and some of the themes he would really dive into and i you know he doesn't he doesn't well i don't want to denigrate him but um this really was the beginning of spielberg as like a larger star in hollywood um and notably award-wise it didn't get a uh, I don't believe it. it got a best picture nom, but there's a there's a video on YouTube actually to watch of Spielberg um, watching the the announcement of the Oscar nominations, and he doesn't get a, a best director nom, and he's really like you can tell he's personally offended by it. He's like he can't believe it because he gets a best picture nod, not best director. He's the that all those it, four directors get. Well, he was very young, and I think he's like he can't believe that he's not getting nommed, and you can see he he's claimed himself too that he put you know, um, Matt Hooper's very much a, a self-insert in the movie. And you can kind of tell it looks a little bit like Spielberg too. He kind of had that chip on his shoulder, you know, smarter than he thinks kind of kid. And, um, you know, he definitely has that kind of that persona there. Um, but regardless, the film technically was, was well-received. Um, and, uh, you know, the greater world, as I said, new Hollywood, it killed the new Hollywood era. This was the beginning of the blockbuster era. Jaws showed that with heavy TV advertising, and a huge wide release you could draw up crowds it also changed the whole release of film schedules because notably films um were, were commonly big films were released in the fall and winter that was considered the the biggest time to go see the movies and jaws showed that actually the summer might be the best time to go see it they it was a summer movie it's about it comes out and it's about takes place over the july long weekend it's about beaches and swimming and it drew huge crowds of young people and teenagers and it you know it really kicked off the era of like blockbusters releasing all in the summer to drive to get those those crowds um and and yeah i i think uh you know jaws is still with us today video games books you know you name it it's your merch you go to your you go to your hmv or your sunrise records or whatever store still sells movie merch and and stuff you're gonna see like a jaws shirt at hot topic you're gonna see something so it's still with us. It's 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 now what fifty years older or coming up on fifty years old. It feels like, and it's not going away. And it's still with us. And um, and it changed the blueprints ex- for how we think about horror movies, how we watch horror movies, how they're made too. I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think. And, it, yeah. Um. I also think that 
the first movie that I can think of where less is more. And yeah. that's what really sort of channeled that whole idea, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think agree. that's I think it's I think it's true, and I think um, I think it really shows you. You really see the like the heart of all the production and love that went into it. I I love watching the behind the scenes of it almost as much as love watching the movie because I love seeing how this all came together, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just a total miracle that this like over budget. Um, movie with a bunch of sort of relatively lower, lesser names, um, filmed on the ocean. No, it, no series of issues. It was just a total mess. Um, with you know actual shark mechanical sharks and stuff. It all came together to make something really special and really, really impressive. And you know, again, you don't get like Jurassic Park without this movie. I think you see very much the same kind of movie being redone again. You know, close to twelve years later with that film. Um, and and I, I think uh, it's 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 an example of it being a huge commercial success. Jaws is with inflation one of the biggest movies uh, of all time, I believe. I think it's in the the sub, top ten of grossing movies of all time because of with adjust with inflation. It's good though. It's it's actually great. It's a great film, and um, I revisit it all the time. It's endlessly quotable. There's so many great character moments. The music is so thrilling. It really gets you into it. Um, it's great. I, I feel like I can watch this the movie poster. Yeah, <laughs> I can watch it at a drive-in in the summer. I can watch it on home and a you know crappy download with my friends. And like it's, it's like Independence it's Day. You can watch it anytime. <laughs> Little bit, and I think Independence Day, right, like actually, that film, wow. <laughs> that film. You know, now that I think about it, like you brought it up. It's got like Jaws vibes. You know, Fourth yeah. of July weekend. Rag, you know the the rags, the riches. You know <laughs> the 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 blue collar guys. You know like you know sneaking in to stop the monster you know, that's a little bit different it's not totally the same movie but uh, there's no bill pullman you know Still a great time, Jaws, yeah. but uh there's no big equivocation but it's 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 a great movie and it's got similar it's a very american movie too much like jaws jaws is i think jaws is so american i mean it's fourth of july weekend endless oh, uh fourth of, of, july, flags, yeah, of flags and posters fourth of july death yeah the characters themselves you know like singing songs and sea shanties it feels so so its place and I think that helps it too. Um, man, this is dumb. Let's just get into scores, I guess, unless you guys have anything else you want to throw in or add. Uh, this, this is like a easy, easy five-bagger. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love Jaws. I've seen it. Yeah. I've probably watched it like 30 times. It, I love watching it. I love every time I watch it, I, I, I really clue into different parts of the characters. And I, 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 love, I love the set of the film. It's all shot on location at Martha's Vineyard. So authentic. It reminds me of of the summer. You just smell the salt air, and I, I think the horror is still really well done. You, I, I, you know, when I watch it after a short period of time, I don't get spooked by it. But when I take a year or two away from it, come back, I still get kind of shocked by some of the moments, even if it's the the rubber head rolling in with the score kick kicking in. It still gets me, or or the look of fear on Hooper's face as the sharks chomping into the cage <laughs> and he's stabbing at it. Stuff like that still really gets me uh, viscerally. Uh, I love the movie. It's one of my favorites. If I was on a desert island, you know, surrounded by sharks, this would still be on my list to watch of movies. So I, I love it. It's five for five for me. Uh, how about you? Uh, how about you, Quinn? Yes. Um, I mean, five for five, five out of five for me. Um, masterpiece. It's one of those films that, uh, like you said, John, it's like no matter how many times you watch it, it's it still holds up. It's still great um also spielberg like spielberg rarely misses like in his entire career it's 
he rarely misses. And uh, yeah, anyway, five out of five for me. Kurt? Yeah, so I give it four and a half out of five. I, I love it. It's almost near perfect for me. I just, I know it's not a film about that too, but I, I you know, part of me watching it again, I kind of wish Christy would secretly grab that shark by the gills and, you know, do something. But I know it's, like you said, John, it's more of a film about masculinity too. But I mean, that's very nitpicky. But I think, yeah, I mean, it's near perfect for me. I think it's, it holds up really well. Uh, like I said, I don't think horror films are made the same way anymore. But I love, you know, the, the pacing and the atmosphere and that kind of, slow reveal of the shark and everything works so well too. And I mean, it looks like, it looks like a monstrous shark when you see it finally too. So that's everything works with that film. So great, great, uh, great film to celebrate our hundred hundredth episode, I think. And that gives yeah, us a combined total, I think of 4.85, which is near perfect anyway. So <laughs> you actually brought up a good point. Like if this film had been made today, it would be the, the lighting would be all digitally changed. So it would look like shit. It would be super bright. It would That's be right. like the shark would be a CGI mess. Just all the small character moments of like the background folk like wouldn't be there. I even think of like the reporter lady who's like, I don't think that was funny. I think that was a bit offensive. And then you see later in the movie, she's in the beach with everyone. Like there's so many little tiny moments That's like right. that. You know, so many small touches with characters that, you know, just get a little moment and then you see them later on. It's a world that feels lived in. We, we follow these characters, the main folk and, and everyone else everywhere. And uh, I don't know if it'd be made the same way today, but that's just a credit to Spielberg and, uh, you know, all of his great film influences that he took. Um, and uh, yeah, Curtis, you mentioned this is our hundredth episode. So I guess we would be remiss to say, you know, thank you to everyone who's been Thanks for following listening. us and listening in. Uh, this was a great film to kind of, you know, wrap our first hundred with. And uh, yeah, it's it's been fun doing it. It's hard to think it's been a hundred episodes. We're down yeah. to six di- three digits. I'm really keen to hear what Billy Haney thinks of uh, this film too. So I hope you can, you guys can watch <laughs> yes. it. Yeah, I want the full review, Billy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, what do we got up next? T- we got. Uh, are we doing more? We're we're going to back to school season, I guess, aren't we? I guess. Yeah. Well, I thought maybe we'd do 101 Dalmatians because next oh, yes, episode right, is 101. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, if you, maybe we'll change it up. I don't know. Well, we'll see. Um, really, Scott Wise. We got all of his stuff coming up. We're now in the 2000s, Ridley. So we got uh, Black Hawk Down, Hannibal. Uh, Kingdom of Heaven's coming soon. We got a lot of his like current kind of almost current era works coming. We're start, starting to get to the end of his uh, watch series. Um, probably have some uh, yeah back to school stuff would be good. I was thinking for my canon I'd do Grease and maybe that would work because that's a that's certainly a back Woo! to school movie. So um, that would be a good one <laughs> for, the, for this, the September. Um, anything else uh, that you guys want to plug or mention, or do you guys got ideas of future canon picks that you might be? Uh, yeah, I was thinking doing of doing. It. I'm really into the Scottish stuff again too, so I I want to do Sweet Sixteen, which is a Ken Loach film for my next canon pick. Um, I might do. Uh, there's a kind of a. It's kind of nice because it kind of borders on the back to school slash horror stuff. It's called Class of 1984, and I think that might be a fun one for my back to school pick. So yeah, that'd be cool. Um, you- I haven't done This Is England yet, have I? No, I don't think so. Yeah, well, I want. I want to do that for my next canon pick. Oh, that'd be fun. <laughs> cool stuff. All right. Um, I guess uh, in terms of plugs, uh, yeah. Otherwise, I would say again, hundred episodes. If you guys have been listening from the start, if you're a day one or, or if you've just jumped in a part of the ride, you hopped out of our boat. Uh, don't hesitate to give us again five stars ratings. I think a couple of you have. Apparently, that helps with algorithm. We do sometimes. I check the stats. We'll get random listens here and there, and I wonder if it's like from people who just stumbled upon. You know, they want to listen to podcasts about their favorite movie, Jaws, and then boom, we showed up. So um, stuff like that, I guess, helps us there. Um, and if you have any suggestions, as we suggest, reach out to us. Uh, we've had some of our 
uh, we've had a lot of recurring guests come on. We're happy to have uh, our, you know, our usual suspects or a new friend of the sh show to come on. So if you've got something you're interested in and you'd like to chat about it, um, you're welcome to, again, use this as a soapbox. We'll give you the opportunity to explain why the movie rocks or why it perhaps it doesn't. So uh, welcome I to have, have you on. I have a quick plug too. So I'm actually doing a dry sure. September uh, to raise money for cancer. So I'm running a full marathon in Ulm, which is where Einstein was born in Oct on October 1st. Uh, so I have a GoFundMe page. I'll put it in the, in the comments. Sure. And uh, yeah, it'd be great. Anything's anything's welcome too. So the money goes towards cancer, uh, Canadian cancer research too. So uh, it it was kind of something a charity that's uh, uh, been affected my family. So it mean a lot to me if uh, if anyone could don donate too. But I'll put a link in the comments there. Yeah, sure, that'd be great. Yes, yeah, so check out the show notes, folks, for that. Um, anything on your end, Quinn? You want to mention before we uh, close off? Um, not really. No. Um, I I will just say actually um thank you so much for listening um 100 episodes with my two brothers here um it's been a a ride and uh can't wait to see what's uh what's next um if you ever want to hear us talk about any films whatever email us at seatstruckpodcast at gmail.com um we would love to hear from you like john said leave us a review leave us hate mail whatever the fuck we want to hear it all um no bombs though no bomb threats just like this is the slurs yeah. you can just keep, yeah, it, keep yeah. it closure no, no swatting no swatting <laughs> yeah. but, uh, no doxing yeah. no swatting <laughs> i'll take yeah, no swatting, no bags of poop but no swatting I'll yeah compromise. It, it would be he great called to have... shit, he called the shit poop well, your, bro your, bro your, bro your brothers yeah. are always welcome too. It'd be great to have your brothers on sometime, Quinn, too. So yes. they're always invited. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and likewise, uh, Curtis. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I know. Like, uh, we just really, um, we we really appreciate the uh, support and the love. Um, so, yeah, episode 100. Thank you so much. John, back to you. Yeah, I will say as well, too. Like, I've had friends that have just, like, talked about the podcast out of the blue that i didn't even know were like listening to it so like there are there i just want to give a shout out we have we have we know we have people that we know listen like all the time but there's people there's some of you out there who maybe just check in maybe it's a movie you like i know i'm like that with podcasts particularly I, I won't listen to like 30 episodes but when they do my favorite i'll check in so um if you're the, if you're that camp um we still appreciate your support there um and again i want to say like it's been really fun doing this podcast because i think it's really helped um I, I look at just the stuff I wrote about movies even before the podcast. And I feel like it's already so out of date. Like, I feel like I've just learned a lot. And it's um, nice. I think podcast, it's nice to have watching like, movies it, over and over again. It's nice to have friends and a kind of sense of community with you two guys, just someone to chat films with to be, be a film nerd and just gush out about the ideas where you wouldn't really get that medium. Otherwise, you know, unless you're at the pub or something. Yeah. But I, really no, like I don't that. get to dump on my friends when we're at the <laughs> bar, you know, like this is why this movie is a critical, you know, now they don't get me like ranting at them and talking at them. Now I can do it to you guys. So it's great. <laughs> but no, I, I, I share the same sentiment, Curtis. It's, it's really fun. I mean, it's nothing better than talking about film with your friends, with people who also love film, but also like, um, it's just been great. I feel like I've learned, I, I learn more, I pay more attention to things and doing the, doing the filmographies, especially like, especially with like someone like we just did our John Carpenter one, another shout out, doing that John Carpenter series. Like it wasn't just like, I've seen a lot of those movies before. Like I know John Carpenter, but it was like, I now love George Buckflower because I watched every movie That's right. and he's in so many of them. Like it's, it's seeing all the little 
people and pieces and and the and the production designers and and all the recurring people that come up and then you, you catch a little bit of that influence and everything and that's, that's right. it, it makes you know we we forget we we, we sometimes we, we think about movies as like it's a great the great man theory the great man makes the movie but movies even the best ones are are made by groups of people by teams and it's it's about everyone coming together to make something great from actors to to production leads to crew members uh to anyone involved it, it's really a, a labor of love and i think doing this podcast you know um we really we really explore that and then we get to see that and it's fun to talk about that and learn more so for sure man. all right here's to another 100 episodes we'll see you in i don't know two years or whatever the big 2-0 is there a 200 theme movie like because we could do 300 in the year 300, yeah 300 <laughs> But 200, I don't know. There's Death Race 2000. That that'll, one, be, yeah. that'll be topic yeah, we, number 2000. We could 2000. put that in there. Yeah. yeah. Heavy, we'll metal, talk about that in tw- Heavy Metal 2000. That's not a good movie, though. But <laughs> Space 2001. That's, that'll be like 2001. That's 2001 so we're going to yeah. have to wait. That'll, yeah, that'll be 15 years. Odyssey. We have long white beards. <laughs> yeah, that'll be 15 years from now. You're going to have to wait, folks. So, uh, you know, be that's patient. <laughs> all right, everyone. Great Take chat care. with you. Uh, have a great week. See you all again soon. Cheers. See you guys. I used to hate the water. I can't imagine why.